Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me each week as we explore the minds of living composers. We talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Katarina Gimmon. Katarina has been described by Arts File as one of the most exciting young vocal composers in Canada. She is a composer, improviser, vocalist, and a founding member of a dynamic new music and ARVR collective, Chroma Mixed Media. Katarina holds an honors Bachelor of Music degree in composition and improvisation from Wilfrid Laurier University and a Master of Music in Composition from the University of British Columbia. She has won two SOCAN awards and a Barbara Pentland Award for Outstanding Composition. Katarina Gimmon, welcome to Movable Dough. Thanks so much for having me. So I'd like to start today actually by talking about Chroma Mixed Media uh, that I mentioned in the bio. So I was really intrigued by this company or project, or I'm actually not sure what to call it. <laughs> I, watched, <laughs> I watched several videos on the Chroma site and became even more interested. So can you tell us about Chroma Mixed Media? Sure. So that is a good question. I think nowadays we, we refer to it more as a collective. Um, when the yeah. yeah, when Chroma first started, we were Chroma Ensemble, and it was uh, comprised of me, uh, Brian Top, and David Storin, and we were all studying composition at the University of British Columbia, where I was doing my master's, and we were all interested in improvisation. Um, but uh, I loved performing um, and improvising live. Brian was doing his doctorate in interactive music technology, so he loved processing things live and doing live electronics. And David was a visual artist who was interested in projection art. So we thought this is a perfect opportunity. Um, Kat can perform. We can do some live visual visuals and Brian can make us some cool electronic instruments. Um, we messed around. We did a number of gigs for that for a number of years. Um, and it basically things went from there. Um, we ended up uh, applying for a number of grants. We have a wonderful granting uh, federal agency called Canada Council for the Arts here in Canada mm -hmm. um, who supported us um, when we decided we wanted to venture outside of that world of interactive live music into the world of installation music. Um, and when I say that, our first venture was exploring how we could essentially create our first album in virtual reality. <laughs> Mm. Um, so we, we made this album, but we wrote it in such a way that it was almost video game esque with layers. So when David created the visual experience, um, in VR, people could actually go through with a headset on their head, our album and walk through this visual environment. And, you know, if they were in a cave, it would sound more reverby depending on how fast they progressed through it. Um, the music would go slower or quicker and different things would be triggered at different times. Um, that was our first foray. And now we're doing all sorts of different things, VR opera in the works in collaboration with some different groups. Um, next up on the docket, we're doing a set of solo works for augmented reality and voices. So a whole whack of things, but that sort of opened a can of worms doing that specific first album project. And that's called um, Naona. If anyone wants to look it up, we have the full three, 360 video online as well as the VR if anyone has a headset. And wants to check it out but um so many cool things have come from that that's a uh, chroma mixed media if you want to look it up fantastic fantastic well i definitely want to see where that goes in the future so you currently live in vancouver british columbia uh, but you mentioned to me that you're a pretty recent west coast transplant so where did you grow up 
So I grew up in Burlington, Ontario, which is a sort of southern uh, Lake Ontario edge, not too far off from Buffalo. That's sort of okay. where I used to always travel, Buffalo, New York, whenever I'd cross the border and wanted to go shopping <laughs> <laughs> growing up. Um, but I grew up there, uh, basically stayed there and uh, until I went off to university, not too far off uh, in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is about 45 minutes away. And then I transplanted myself here um, to do my master's degree in 2015, it would be. I guess it's almost been seven years now, but it doesn't feel like that because there was a pandemic in the middle of it right. where I didn't really <laughs> get to see anything. Um, but it still feels very recent. I, I'm still, I think, at heart, a little bit of an Ontarian um based person so sure so when you were growing up did you always aspire to be a musician or did you want to be something else oh i wanted to be a singer and a rock star um <laughs> nice <laughs> um i i wrote all kinds of little uh lyrical ditties um i'll tell you this one my mom will think this is funny um she has this little piece of paper um i was a terrible speller as a child as many of us are and i wrote on this little piece of paper that i'd posted somewhere that i want to be a singer but i couldn't spell singer so i wrote i want to be a sinner and my mom <laughs> so my mom won't throw it out but um anyways i wanted to be a singer is the long and short of the start of the story um long and short of the story um and i wrote all kinds of little songs for myself and sort of lived in the songwriter world from a number of years um, and then only really ventured into the world of writing music in the classical realm, actually, when I went to study um, my undergraduate degree. Uh-huh. So what sort of songs were you writing growing up? When I was really little, all the stuff about, you know, food and, uh, you know, my little brother being annoying and that kind of thing. Um, but as I got older and deeper into it, I was very into sort of folk singer, songwriter, uh, piano poppy kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote a lot of things where I would sing and play along on the piano, um, sort of inspired by uh, Vanessa Carlton era. Everyone will remember A Thousand Miles. You know, everyone in my my age group was all learning how to play that. Yeah. And so I did all kinds of, you know, fun piano pieces where I would sing along with it. Um, later, I was listening to an artist called Regina Spector, who I'm not mm -hmm. sure you know. Yeah. yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. A little bit more vocal exploration, but then in that realm as well. Um, I also uh, I explored guitar for a little bit, but I didn't quite like it as much, and ended up settling on ukulele. I'll move a little bit so you can see it behind me. <laughs> I see that very. I have a, an electric ukulele that I started exploring, doing looping and live performances with a little bit later, um, getting me a bit more into that sort of folk, um, Joni Joni Mitchell esque kind of style a little bit later, but uh. Yeah, folk indie pop, I'd kind of say. So then what was your first sort of foray into, quote unquote, classical composition? Um, when I went to study uh, at my undergraduate degree, I I think at that point I'd done some really small compositional exercises with my theory teacher, like prepping to go to my undergraduate degree. So I'd written little studies in different modes for the piano. Mm -hmm. That was the only experience I had. But when I started um, at my undergraduate degree and I took um, an elective in composition, we started doing these really interesting assignments where we would zero in on very specific things like um, write a minute of um, an aleatoric work, write a minute piece that only uses one note um, use write a minute piece that doesn't use notes, all these sort of fun challenges. And that really got me thinking about music in different ways. Um, and I had so much fun. The very end of that class, um, at the end of our first year, um, we got a free for all after all these limiting assignments. And I wrote a piece called Boundless. And that was the first sort of full scale choral slash classical work that I'd written, my first choral work. 
Um, and it's still performed today. It's gotten some edits since then, um, but it's actually been the the title track for two albums, which is pretty exciting. And it's been recorded on, I think, three now. Um, but that was that was really the start for me there is when I wrote that piece, I thought, OK, now I've sort of married this world of songwriting that I'm interested in, this world of choral music and and writing all in one. Oh, fantastic. So on your website, you mentioned that one of your influences in writing is actually Eastern European folk music. Uh, so is there a particular Eastern European country that resonates more with you? Uh, you know, what, where, where does this come from? Yeah, it's funny because you're saying that and people can't see us, but I'm actually wearing oh, yeah. a little shirt with a Ukrainian flag on it. <laughs> um, so I'm actually Ukrainian-Canadian. Um, okay. Three out of four of my grandparents came from Ukraine um, during slash shortly after the war. Um, and I think just because of the time period um, and just Ukrainian people in general were always very, very proud of our culture um, and continuing those traditions, especially because, you know, they were silenced and are continuing to be silenced for so long. Um, so at a very young age, I was in Ukrainian school, um, learning all the Ukrainian songs, learning to speak Ukrainian um, and then did Ukrainian dance. So, um, of course, Ukrainian dance and Ukrainian music are very interconnected um, in in folk singing styles. So I, I got exposed to a lot of that very early on. So huge part of that through my family. But then also when I joined children's choir, the conductor um, that uh, conducted our choir, Zimfira Polos, was from Kazakhstan. Um, so she brought a lot of music, you know, from Russia and uh, sort of other Eastern European music, Balkans um, and whatnot that we sang in our choir as well, which was a little bit less common, I think, for North American and Canadian choirs. But it was just because that's literally where she had just come from. Mm -hmm. So between the two of those, I actually got exposed to at a very young age, a lot of um, both choral um, and just sort of folk musics from Eastern Europe, which uh, I think has continued to influence the kind of music I write. Yeah. How do you how do you see that influence in your music today? Um, definitely a lot of modal uh, kind of writing. <laughs> I really like my open octaves and fifths. I mean, that's pretty uh -huh. common for a lot of folk music, but also uh, bright singing styles. Uh, we also have a very strong tradition um, of women uh, women singing. If you like Google, just Ukrainian women singing, you can find a wonderful project called the Polyphony Project, mm -hmm. at, um, where they go around to different villages in Ukraine and they capture uh, people singing traditional folk music. A lot of it is women and they just let it out. They they have these beautiful, strong, just free voices. And so I'm, I always try and find ways in my choral music, even though it's North American, to try and get closer to that sound. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'll often in my scores for anyone who's who's sung them say things like folk like style or bright singing um, so it can get closer to that style while still being understood by people who are trained in, you know, Western classical singing. Fantastic. So you're still a fairly young composer, not too far removed mm -hmm. from grad school. So are there teachers or maybe particular lessons that you remember uh, that you feel are still serving as guides along your journey today? Yes, um, I had a lot of wonderful teachers. I'm going to say uh, this is an accidental one, but when I studied at Wilfrid Laurier, um, I studied with Glenn Beer. He was my first uh, composition professor there. Um, and reflecting back, I was doing a podcast recently and I realized this. Um, at some point, he told me when I was struggling that <laughs> writer's block didn't exist. And I remember at the time being very confused by that um, and not sure, not sure how to take that. But then years later, realizing what he was trying to say is essentially, um, I don't know if you find this because I know you're a composer as well, mm -hmm. but a lot of the time when you get stuck, 
It's because it's not because you don't have an idea. It's because you're overwhelmed with possibilities. There's too many things you could do and you actually need to do a go back a step into that planning stage, into that brainstorming stage um, and figure out where you're going to go. So that's something that sort of took a little bit of a roundabout turn for it to finally settle in. I think for me to get to a point in my career where that advice he gave me made sense. Um, but that that's something, especially recently, I think that's been really, really, really impactful for me is learning that lesson. I like that. That's really mm-hmm. nice. So do you have a bucket list of compositions that you'd like to write one day? Like for me, I'd oh. love to one day write a symphony. So if you had unlimited time and resources, what would be on your bucket list of things to compose? One thing that's always been on my bucket list that I'm going to say, just in case somebody can make this happen, <laughs> is <laughs> I've always been very interested in um, spatial music and music in um, like site-specific music, music in strange places. And I sort of want to combine that with my you know weird choral style. So I've always dreamt of doing a piece in a cave, like a mm. big cave. It's like a vocal, maybe like a vocal small chamber ensemble or a vocal octet or something like that in a cave and like writing a large scale piece for the cave where you maybe can, you know, fit a small audience or a handful of people, but they experience this in this really resonant kind of cool, unique space. So that's one idea that I really want to make happen. <laughs> All right. So if anyone's got a cave out there, <laughs> yeah, like Katarina, no. invite me over. <laughs> we'll make cave music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I did mention earlier that you had moved to Vancouver recently. So what have you found about your new home in Vancouver that excites you or that you've particularly enjoyed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, definitely. Uh, first off, I'll say the environment, like the, the what would it be, the physical environment, the nature all around here. I absolutely love. I grew up um, sort of just outside of Toronto and it was, it's, it's the most populated area of Canada. So it's just sort of city, city, more city <laughs> sprawling <laughs> for a while. And people used to, I remember on weekends, line up to drive several hours to sit in traffic, to like go to cottage country, to find a tree. <laughs> or to find a bit of retreat. And that was just the thing we did. But when I moved out here, um, Vancouver is the big city and it ends a lot quicker. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you can get to this place of because we're surrounded by mountains, of course. Right. Um, it has to end. You can only build so high. Um, you can find, I think, um, that state of relaxation and escape and find yourself in nature a lot quicker, which I really like. Um, you can both be near a city, but also have amazing places to hike amazing places to see a wonderful view to be immersed in nature and like not hear any noise pollution so i i love that i'm a huge um uh i like to walk um and hike as well so i've been sort of slowly exploring all the trails since i've moved here and that's been um especially during the pandemic that's been i think really 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 wonderful but um in addition to that i will also say the choral music community and music community um, in general here is uh, so rich, um, so welcoming, um, and so diverse. Um, and I I think it's part of the reason that my career really started when I got here um, is because of that environment and the diversity that we have um, in this area. So although <laughs> technically I grew up in an area where it was more populated, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up here and things really branched out since I got here, I think, because of that. Well, fantastic. Well, you and I are just down the road from each other, so we need to hook up at some point. I know. <laughs> I haven't been like anywhere along <laughs> that part of the, the United States, so we will definitely have to. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so one last question before we take a quick break, and this is a question I've been asking all my guests this season. 
Who is another living composer that you think we should all go check out? Hmm. Living. My my go-to just passed away, so I will not say that. Um, if You probably already know her, but I would say Carolyn Shaw. Mm. Um, I've always been really, really intrigued by her music. Um, I think because in a way it's similar to the kinds of things that I do that combine improvisation and texture and whatnot. I came across her music when I was sort of later in my undergrad and I've always been very interested in that. Oh, her. Um, but I will also add, sorry, I should also mention this. Um, Tanya Tagak. She uh, is a Inuit throat singer and performer slash composer in Canada. Um, also check out her music. Uh, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, very inspiring. Check out her work as well. Tanya, T- how is it? What was last T- name? Tanya Tagak. 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 Right. Yeah. So she won the Polaris Prize a number of years ago, but has gone on to do all kinds of um, all kinds of collaborations, even with uh, I don't know if you uh, you probably know Kronos Quartet, the string mm-hmm. famous string quartet. She's done collaborations with them, where she sort of has created this work that is like throat singing, but for string quartet, and it's huh. just so so unique and so different and so beautifully bringing back this culture that you know in North America has been you know from colonialism just silenced um so very beautiful i encourage you to look her up all right we'll do all right well we're mm-hmm. going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll listen to some of katarina's compositions welcome back i'm talking today with katarina gimmon we're going to start today with fire from your piece the elements so this is the third of four movements set for treble choir uh this piece is fast and energetic incorporating vocal percussion, body percussion, nasal singing, nonsense syllables, and more. I'd love you to tell us about the whole work and how fire fits into it. Yeah, so this work was actually written when I was studying at Wilfrid Laurier doing my undergrad. It was uh, the first three movements, I think, were written my second year, so not too long after that piece I I mentioned uh, earlier, Boundless. Uh, This was the next choral work I wrote after that. Um, And then the final piece in the set, uh, was written, I think, at the beginning of my third year, but pretty pretty early in my writing journey, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, and my goal when writing this piece uh, was to create something that could explore the bounds of the human voice. Um, so, you know, in the first movement, we have overtone singing. In the movement we're about to hear, fire, the third movement, we have this nasal singing, shouts, calls, un- non-traditional choral singing kind of aspects. Um, and then also to convey an image or an idea without using text in the traditional sense. And this is something I became a little bit obsessed with um, after growing up singing in children's choir and um, having this really beautiful experience where I sang, I I have a little good luck charm that I'll show you as I tell you this story. Um, I sang a concert um, in Germany with my choir. And at the very end of the concert um, for uh, every show we did as part of this tour we would go out and we'd hold hands with people in the audience and we'd sing into their looking into their eyes which was terrifying for me um as the shy introvert i was but i had this beautiful experience singing um to this elderly german woman i didn't speak german she didn't speak um english but after i had sung this piece to her um she was just tearing up the whole time and it was the first time i'd felt this overflowing an immense sense of uh you know connection among two people who didn't know each other i didn't know anything about her we didn't speak the same language um and after that she pulled out of her pocket um this heart-shaped stone 
And I never got to know the story again because we never spoke the same language. But she took my hand and she put put it in my hand and then closed my hand around it as as if to motion for me to take it. Um, and so this has always been my good luck charm since then, reminding me of, you know, why I do what I do, but also the power of connection to connect people regardless of where where they're from, you know, uh, what what their beliefs are, mm -hmm. um, and so on. So all that that story to circle back to elements and say that I was obsessed with the idea of connecting people beyond language. <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't include any language in this. The words you're going to hear in fire are actually a set of nonsense syllables that I created via improvisation. I was more interested in finding a way to convey the idea of each element, in this case, fire, without using words. So I'll leave it at that. And then I will just make one more note because you, you said um, uh, it's for SSA. I will just mention that it was originally written for SATB. Just okay. so SATB groups don't feel left out. Um, <laughs> and I did also make a, a TTBB version um, of FIRE recently in case any of them uh, are interested in joining in. Everyone can join in the fun. <laughs> All right. And I understand that this piece recently went viral on TikTok. Is that correct? It did. It's How a sentence. When yeah. did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sentence I never thought I'd say is, hey, something of mine went viral on TikTok. But it happened. I think it was in uh july june or july it's sort of been ongoing because it just bubbles and then it finds its way to a different form of social media like then it's youtube then it's um, facebook um but essentially um there was a wonderful performance by the um texas um, music educators uh treble honor choir very long name i think i got it right um, the 2022 uh, iteration, they performed it in February. And I got all these messages from people who were there live saying, this performance, it was fantastic. It's so amazing. Um, didn't hear anything for a while after that. <laughs> the performance emerged. Um, and then it, I guess it found its way first onto TikTok and really resonated with young people, seeing this fantastic group of young people just letting go, you know, letting their their inner rage out, letting um, their inner fire out, you know, for... Um, Sorry for the pun, but it's true. Um, once you watch the piece, you'll see what I mean. And I think because of that, it really resonated with so many people and just sort of made waves um, because of that performance. So, yeah. All right. Well, we are going to actually listen to the 2022 mm -hmm. Texas All-State Treble Choir uh, conducted by Dr. Linda Hassler singing Fire.
All right, our next piece today is A Path to Hope. So this is a set of three short works for a cappella choir that you wrote during the pandemic. I'd love for you to talk a minute about what inspired this piece and especially about the text, both sung and spoken. Yeah, so it, I think some of my favorite pieces always seem to be sets, which is funny because the last one we heard was a set of four works and this one's a set of three works. Um, mind you, they're much shorter, but the piece itself um, is about this idea of finding hope in difficult times. Of course, um, this makes sense, you know, given that it was written during the pandemic, but it was written as part of a project, uh, a collaborative commissioning project called Sonic Time Lapse Project. Um, and I was a co-founder of this project. And essentially what we did is we commissioned 10 composers over the period of a year to create works. Um, but these works were based on reflections taken from members of the choral community, mostly people in the Canadian choral community, um, so that when these pieces all came out at the end, it showed a time lapse of the emotional landscape of people during the pandemic. That was the idea. So very weird, very unique idea. My piece was the first one to come out. So it was very early. A lot of the reflections that my piece were based on were actually taken from choral conductors speaking about, you know, how changed their world was, the, the loss of their livelihood, not knowing if, you know, these beautiful moments that they had conducting choirs would ever happen again. Um, it was really heartbreaking um, to read a lot of this stuff, you know, especially at a time when I was also feeling so much of that myself. So it was, you know, truly a journey in writing it. But I ended up creating this work um, based on those reflections. And because I loved the material I got so much, <laughs> I cheated. And instead of writing one work, I wrote three small ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first movement is called Vo um, Without Voice. And it's entirely for body percussion. And it's based on the Morse code spelling for the word voiceless. Um, and it was based on all these reflections that I found about people saying, you know, I, I don't feel like I have a voice anymore. You know, singing is where I let out all my, my emotions. It's where I felt like I was home and I don't have that anymore. Um, so I wove some some of those um, reflections you'll you'll hear before and after the actual piece happens. But it's based on that. And then the body percussion is saying voiceless essentially in the rhythm very loosely based on that morse code that's the first movement then the second movement is called the fear and it's loosely based on um a, or inspired by i should say a poem by canadian poet pat lothar that was included in one of the reflections that was sent to me um and it's about facing the fear itself so there's this super short repeated mantra that i came up with about um facing the fear and essentially um, you know, working up the strength to accept that change happens in our life and changes growth um, and we can we can make it through together. And then the final movement, Believe, is um, actually the first one I wrote, funny enough, <laughs> although it was the third movement. It was the first piece I wrote. And I like to describe this one uh, like if I was sitting in a room with some of those people who the reflections um that inspired the work existed. Uh, a lot of the things that I was reading were like, I don't know what's next, what will happen, I don't see hope. You know, a lot of darker things that were happening um, at the time and I think things that people were feeling. Um, and if I was sitting in a room with those people, I thought, what would I say? What would I say if a friend said this to me? And so believe I wrote the lyrics and the music as a response to those people. Um, and those things that I saw in these reflections. So it's basically saying that, you know, believe that we're going to make it through this and that we'll be stronger 
and we will appreciate what we do. And I think the role of art so much more after all of this. So that is the set, a path to hope. All right. Well, as a music educator, I definitely, you know, resonated with all the the messages mm -hmm. there. All right. Well, we're going to listen to the full uh, three movement work, A Path to Hope, performed here by Myriad Ensemble. Don't speak. Don't touch. Don't breathe. Don't move. There will be no singing anymore. It's out of our control. No one is listening. Don't speak. Don't touch. Don't breathe. Don't move. No singing. The world is silent. Still without voice, we sing. What scares me the most is not knowing what the future holds. The lack of certainty, of control. Some days, I'm not sure how long I can keep holding on under the pressure. I wonder if this will ever end, if we'll ever sing together again, or if all my experiences will become nothing more than memories. My fear is that the world will change and I'll stay the same. It's not the change. It's not the change. It's not the change. But the fear that holds me It's not the change. It's not the stay in place, the power of song transcends beyond an isolated existence. During the pandemic, music has been our building block of hope. A catharsis, a reason to gather, even virtually. A shared experience, a shared breath. A place where love was kindled and dreams were planted. An escape 
from the pressure cooker of pandemic feelings. A joy, a community, a sisterhood of song. In overcoming this adversity, we, Myriad, and the choral community can discover our own resilience and look brightly towards a day when we will return with renewed strength, greater appreciation for our art, and understanding of our importance and place in our changed world. We look forward to the future, and we believe. Do you believe? All right, next we're going to turn to All Together We Are Love. So what is this piece about and why do you think it resonates with audiences today? Mm -hmm. So this is a very nice, uh, sweet, simple message. Uh, literally, like the title says, that all together we make the world a, a brighter and more beautiful place um, with being ourselves, with the art we make, um, and so on. Um, and it was originally written for a lecture of women's choirs uh, choral leadership workshop for young women in 2017. And the goal that I was given for this piece um, is that they were having this day-long workshop with several choirs, different levels, different ages coming in, and they needed something they could learn in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes, that's all I had. Um, but they also wanted something that would um, empower everyone to feel inspired, to feel creative, um, and to leave a little bit of space to play. Um, at the time, I was already sort of known a little bit for um, incorporating aleatory. So there's a little glimpse of that, which is a good starter place if you've never done that with your groups in this piece. This is a great one to start with that. Um, so that's where that piece came from. But I think this idea of it doesn't matter who you are. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, together, it's our unique individuality that makes the world more beautiful and rich and wonderful. Um, I think that resonates with people regardless of, you know, what your age is and whatnot. So this one's a great one for different groups. Um, I think we're listening to an SATV version of it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it also exists in SSA. So there's a couple different voicings I'll just mention. All right. So how do you think the aleatory section sort of plays into the meaning of the piece? I think 
for me, the way I sort of looked at it, because I wrote the lyrics for this one as well. Um, the opening section is sort of about celebrating your individuality and, oh, I can do all these things. Look at all these things I can do. But together, it makes it um, more beautiful. Then we come to this aleatoric section in the middle. That's a little bit like searching. It's a little bit like mm. searching and wandering. So that's what I imagine. I think I even have um, some text along the line and descriptor text in the middle there in the, in the score. Um, but it's this idea of searching and then maybe finding strength when you come back to, you know, the people around you, your choral community, your community around you and saying, you know what, I searched, I tried to find who I am. I tried to find my purpose. And then here I am back. Um, and I realized that we have our strengths together. I love that. All right. Well, we're going to listen to All Together We Are Love, performed here by Consinity.
And our last piece today, In Her Image, for SSAA Acapella Choir. You say that this piece is a celebration of sisterhood as well as an exploration of individuality within a collective. So what do you mean by this? So this one, I think this is actually the first one that I commissioned a text for on our list today. But uh, the text for this one, I guess I'll start off by saying that it's written by a dear friend of mine, Lauren Pete, who's a wonderful poet. Um, and because the world is super small and life is a full circle, we actually grew up singing together in the Hamilton Children's Choir, that children's oh, choir I mentioned. <laughs> so after all these years, uh, you know, life brought us back together. And this was our first collaboration of many, actually. Um, but I got approached by Sirens um, to write this piece for their album and, you know, themes of empowerment. Um, trying to find yourself, that kind of thing. And so I approached Lauren um, and she basically went running with this and the way she likes to describe the piece. <laughs> she said this to me once and I've been saying it to people now because I think it's so beautiful <laughs> is um, the poetry and the meaning of the piece is almost like losing the pieces of yourself and picking them back up again. Um, and when you read through the text of the piece, you'll see the way the story sort of unfolds. It's this person, they're searching for themselves and they're looking and they actually start pretty close to themselves. I think they're in a nearby glade. For example, I think it's in the first stanza. And then as it goes on, they look further and further. And the music sort of gets more frantic, more searching, um, a little more um, a little more tension in the music. Because as they get further away, they're actually getting further away from who they are and what they're searching for. And then in that middle section where we move from this sort of state of complexity to actually the choir moving to this unison moment, it's like the snap into finding strength um, in your choral community and your in your sisterhood in this case. Um, and then realizing that where you started, where she was in the very beginning is actually where she was the whole time. Um, it was there all along who she was. She just had to listen for it. She just had to look um, and discover that it was there all along. So that's essentially the story of In Her Image. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to listen to Siren's Choir performing In Her Image.
had all but lost her image. When something in me settled and glanced back, something in me settled and glanced back. Well, Katerina, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Ooh, I'm working on a, a fun project right now, uh, a bit unusual, but a set of three graphic scores or quasi-graphic scores intended for groups who are interested in exploring graphic scoring or being introduced to aleatory, but don't know where to start. Um, so I have a set of three and they each sort of progress from pretty traditional graphic score to um, something that incorporates a little Western notation and then more Western notation in combination with. Um, but so that I can encourage choristers to explore their own creativity and conductors who maybe haven't explored um, working on graphic scores with their group um, can dive into that for the first time. So that should uh, be premiered in the fall and hopefully we'll be out by the spring. Very cool. So nothing in a cave yet. Nothing in a cave yet. I'm still <laughs> waiting. If you're listening, um, call me. All right. <laughs> Let's write a cave piece. <laughs> so if someone wants to contact you or learn more about your music, what do, what's your website? Um, KatarinaGimmon.com um, and I'm on social on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Kat Gimmon. You can find me in all those places. Um, if you're on my website and uh, scroll to the bottom, you can find links to all those. I also have a newsletter if you're uh, more of an email type person and interested in hearing from me a couple times a year. Fantastic. Well, hey, listeners out there, if you are already a sustaining member of Movable Dough, I would like to offer my sincere thanks. Your contributions help me continue to provide quality programming like this. And if you're not yet a sustaining member, your time is now. Visit anchor.fm slash movable dough and click support. For less than $1 a month, you can help me keep the music moving. Well, Katerina, it has been a pleasure to get to know you today. Thank you so much for joining me on Movable Dough. Thank you. My guest today was composer Katerina Gimmon. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.